Eastside Radio 89.7 FM. This is Arts Monday Simpoesi streaming to you from the Gerigo land of the Eora Nation. My name is Ira and I'm currently on call to Alex Weiser, co-curator of So Hot Right Now, Now, Now exhibition, currently showing at the First Draft Gallery here in Woolamaloo. So Hot Right Now, Now, Now emerged from the Arts Out West Regional Artist Mentoring Program, a two-year creative and professional development initiative that brought together eight artists from the regional New South Wales in exchange with one another, industry mentors and the program facilitators Amala Groom, Chris Townsend and Alex Weiser, who is with us on the show today to tell us more about this program and the resulting exhibition. Alex, do we have you on the line? Yes, you do. Hello, good morning. How's your morning morning, so far? Where are we finding you and what is surrounding you as you speak to us? Um, I am uh, up uh, in Kandos on uh, Wiradjuri country. Um, I am in a little uh, um, enclosed balcony in my house, which is the corner of the universe that's been given to me as an office. Um, It's very cluttered with all sorts of junk because I'm a slob. Um, And so that's mostly what I'm looking at. And what are the skies like in Kandos this morning? Sunny, rainy? They're blue, yeah. We've got a beautiful blue sky. It's going to be a really lovely kind of temperate spring day. Beautiful. We need the sun so much these days. We really do. Yeah. Um, And uh, let's let's talk about So Hot Right Now, Now, Now is the title of the exhibition that is currently showing at the first draft. And as I briefly mentioned in the introduction, this exhibition is an outcome of a program called Arts Out West Regional Artist Mentoring Program, of which you were one of the facilitators. Can you tell us a bit about this program? What brought it? Uh, what brought this idea up in the yeah. first place? Yeah. Okay. Well, just a correction. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Regional Arts Mentorship Program ramp that was actually started by Samantha mm-hmm. um, in partnership with Amala Groom. We ran that for about nine months, and then it became a little bit too much for the or- our very small organization to handle, and we we passed it over to Arts at West, who've been who've been handling it since. So it's been a partnership between all all three of us. Um, it began uh, um, out of a conversation I had with a mala groom around my kitchen table eating watermelon, mm-hmm. um, where we, we were basically talking about the challenges that um, regional ar- artists face that, you know, that are specific to living in the regions. Um, they're just unique things that you have to face with, you have to deal with if you want to make art while living in the, in, in, and really if you want to participate in the, in the broader culture of, of art making and uh, you know, ex- showing, exhibiting, and manifesting in uh, in the cities, and basically the you know the primary obstacle that artists face is distance, geographic different distance that we're we're pretty spread out, and so the the first implication of that is that um, it's really really difficult for uh, artists to find community. Um, and I mean artistic community. Um, they usually live in small towns, so they've got plenty of that kind of community. But this is a very specific kind of community that's necessary, I think, to making art. Mm-hmm. Um, that you basically, in order to make art, uh, you need a you need a, a network of uh, of, of fellow artists uh, and um, you know a cultural milieu in which uh, you know you you can find the 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 um, you know the 
the the emotional, the psychological, the intellectual, the imaginative, um, and the you know and the relational uh, uh, resources and support for doing what you do. So mm-hmm. most artists out here were live in a small town. You're going, you know, they're going to be the the only contemporary artists making the, the kinds of works that w- that I was making when I moved out here, and that um, and that was interested in promoting. Um, there, you know, there might be a, a like a conventional uh, arts community um, of people who do paintings um, and and little and sculptures and things like that. But you're not going to find anybody who's going to understand what you're doing and tell you that what you're doing is not insane. Mm. Um, and, and so it's very discouraging. It's just really, really hard and discouraging. And I was watching artists say, you know, they would, they would show up and they would be kind of, you know, kind of brilliant doing these amazing things, but because there was no sustenance for them, um, they would slowly kind of, uh, retreat into themselves and, um, and, uh, and, uh, you know, they, you know, it, it, it basically, you know, I wouldn't say give up on art, but they they basically um, contracted, and and I was and I thought, well, what we have to do if these are, our, you know, if these are the challenges we face, is we have to find means of um, of actually facilitating uh, that support, co-supportive activity, which happens in the city very naturally. Mm-hmm. You know, it happens organically because you know the artists tend to live in the same neighborhoods, and so. You know, you basically, and the and the galleries tend to show up there too. So you can kind of, you know, find your community at the pub, and mm-hmm. then you know, and then you know, it's everyone can go to the opening because it's only uh, you know two blocks away. Mm-hmm. Whereas out here, when you have to get to an opening, you have to drive four hours. You have to you know put yourself up in a hotel. It's it's actually quite a it's quite a uh, a difficult thing to do. And so we started to think about that. And the, so the prog- project came. Well, okay, it came out of that thought. The second implication of this, uh, of the, of the, you know, the isolation of, of the artists out here, is that you know they're not only isolated from each other, but they're iso- also isolated from the, from the, um, from the urban centers where where the majority of contemporary art culture circulates, and so they they're just you know you you they you can't just go to the to the whatever to the to the opening and and meet curators or you know find find opportunities for yourself you're you know it's really really hard you have to you know as, as anybody who does that sort of thing knows that takes a, you know a kind of continuous participation in a in a social milieu uh in which you you know meet and make friends with and know people and um and talk about your projects and uh get the word out there and you know uh you know occasionally corner somebody and ask for an opportunity all of those things which are like ongoing, you can't do it in a one-off sort of way, um, you know, are not available to regional artists. So mm-hmm. that's kind of the second thing we thought was, how do we, how do we f- find some avenues for, for you know, for uh, uh, engaging uh, these regional artists with, um, with uh, with that art world in mm-hmm. the in the urban context, mm-hmm. and uh, you selected eight artists from uh, regional New South Wales. How did you go about making this choice? What were you guided by? Well, it was interesting. So Amala identified a number of um, of uh, sort of regional arts workers and organizations or institutions that she thought would be significant enough and could potentially participate uh, in the project. So art galleries, 
uh, RADOs, which is Regional Arts Development Officers. There's a network of those across New South Wales. Each one of them has a, a massive territory. And their job is to, you know, is to, is to cultivate and encourage the arts within their area. So we, we should basically send out the invitations to all of, to these galleries and these RADOs and ask them each to contribute, I think, two artists, which gave us, I think, a total of about 16 artists. And then we selected. Mm. Um, and we selected eight artists from uh, basically from all of those uh, partner organizations. And it was that was really Amala who made the choices. She she I think she, she, she made a short list and then she interviewed people and um, and then she made her decisions mm. uh, based on that. And what did the program then entail? I know that due to COVID, you weren't actually able to meet in person as much as you wanted to, or maybe not at all. So most of the program took place online over Zoom. And then another thing that was really interesting for me to note is the length of the program. It took uh, two years and it, yeah. it is a really um, interesting approach. And I wonder if there was some significance in making that choice to make it this long, especially in opposition to this frenzy now, now, now urgency that is in the title. So it basically relationship to your first question it wasn't actually COVID that threw us onto Zoom. The program was designed for Zoom, so you know we've been we've been operating on Zoom for years now because it was actually the very the first tool that we discovered that would would help us to maybe allow us to live isolated from each other and still communicate. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's also you know it's a very cheap way of communicating, um, relatively. So for an 18th month or two year uh, project. You know, Zoom meetings were something we could do because it didn't require a whole lot of travel. We did have a, a we did have a residency uh, in place where we were all going to come together and uh, meet at Bundanong and and spend a week together. Um, that actually got flooded out. Now it, it wasn't it wasn't a COVID thing. So, but um yeah, so that was that was that bit. The the thing about this so that yeah, this is one of the it's also one of my favorite bits of the project. Is that it was so long term as I've you know I've, I've participated in both as a you know as a punter and as a um, you know as a quote unquote mentor in the professional development programs before and what I've noticed is that you know they're they're basically one hit wonders they're very short term you know very um, limited in scope and you basically go and you give a workshop. You teach somebody how to do a CV or how to write a grant or something, you know, quote unquote, teach them because really you can't teach anybody how to write a grant like that. That's not how you do it. Um, uh, or, you know, you give them some other little body of information and then you're and then you and then your job's done and you, you know, good luck off. Off you go into the art world. Go make your way. And, you know, no support, no, um, you know, no reply, no follow up. Nothing like that. And 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 I, I watched all that stuff and I went, wow, this is absolutely fucking useless. Like no nobody gets anything out of this. Mm. Nobody's gonna take this, you know, little bit of scratchy knowledge and have the confidence to to start rocking up to to gallery directors and you know, and, and ingratiating yourselves um into into them until you get a show. That's not you know, that's not going to result from this. So I was uh, I was really, really happy that it was so long term. And so the artist met with Amala every week. Sometimes it was one on one. Uh, sometimes there were two hour sessions. It was it was involved. 
and it could, and it could be quite intense. And she took them through everything. Um, the other thing I think that she did that was brilliant was um, she, she grounded this professional development practice on a consideration of creative practice. So she didn't start from, oh, you know, you know, what's your business model? Um, you know, how do you present yourself to, to a gallery? Um, you know, you know, here's how you do a CV. Here's how you do an artist statement. All of these sort of nuts and bolts sort of things. No, she started with the artist and said, okay, well, you know, if you were to get this platform that you're seeking, what do you want to say? Why are you making art? What, what are you getting out of this? And try, and try to get them to clarify what that is. Because, you know, it actually gives you, a, you know, a goal. And, and having a goal is really important because it can give you direction, mm. you know, and, and give you like a, like a measure as to whether or not you're actually headed in the direction you want to be headed in or whether you're just sort of randomly following whatever, you know, kind of opportunities flop up for you. Um, so she, she started it there and she, you know, in long conversations about, you know, about practice, about being an artist and what it is and, and why it was each of these artists specifically did this. And then, and then taking them through and across, you know, an entire range of considerations and, and aspects of being a working a professional artist and what it, what it requires. And so, it, you know, it was, it was quite holistic, you know, it was a very holistic kind of approach where you learned all of the bits and not just, you know, the one fragment that the the expert who happens to be sitting in front of you, you know, has it uh, in their deck. And um, and so so that was done. And then there, and then basically I think there were six like industry leaders that were involved as well. And then six established artists as well came in and, and did and did mentoring uh, sessions with the artists. Um, I think those were group sort of sessions because these people are incredibly busy. Mm. Um, but I sat in on a couple of them, and they were freaking wonderful because you're getting somebody like Jeff Kahn, who was director of the performance space, who just told his story. He just said, well, this is how it happened for me. This is how I went from being, you know, just a, a guy on the street to running the performance space. And he told all the challenges and all the opportunities and the good little moments. And, and it was a really human kind of story, you know, because right? you, you think about directors of these sorts of institutions in a very, you know, detached and inhuman way as the, as the evil overlord of the art world. Mm. And, um, and then you're, you know, and then you meet Jeff Kahn and you, you go, oh, okay, well, a fellow human, who, who would have known? And, um, and here it is, he's done He's done it. He's had some success in this world, and he and he and he actually tells you how how it happened for him. And that kind of you know that kind of story was really um, enriching and um, I, I would say um, comforting in a way. Like you know to know that it happens in a human way and not in some kind of weird magic. you know mm. what some weird magic. You know, yeah, like yeah. some weird magic or a, a kind of, you know, like some, you know, backroom power plays and all, mm -hmm. all of this, you know, whatever you can fantasize because you don't know what happens, right? You don't know what mm -hmm. happens back mm -hmm. in, the, in the halls of power or, or people of influence. And, um, and I think that that was really, I think it was really another great, great bit. So, mm -hmm. yeah, so the, yeah, so there was, there was, there was all of this, this rich mix uh, of, of, of an introduction. Because for me, the, the, for me, and, and my own story as well, like how I've been able to achieve the things that I did was very early on when I left art school and I 
kind of looked at the, the, you know, basically I, you know, I, it's, I, 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 let's just say I didn't get a, I didn't get a gallery straight out of art school. Mm. And so I had to kind of make my way. And when I looked up, I was like, what, what is this land I'm in? Like, what does it look like? Where are the, you know, where are the landmarks, where are the, where are the, the mountain ranges and where are the, the, the valleys or the swamps or the, you know, how is this laid out? How do the commercial galleries relate to institutions? How do, how do curators relate to, um, you know, uh, emerging artists? Um, how, you know, how, how, how is it that this ecology, this arts ecology, which is what we like to call it, um, how does it actually function? Mm. And and over the years, over the last 12 years of me doing all the work, you know, I've collected an understanding of that landscape. I know how things, some things work. And I'm not, I certainly don't know how everything works. It's, uh, you know, it's always kind of a uh, thing. But, but having that orientation is absolutely essential. You know, you, you know, you see, you could, I've, I've seen it happen. Like people just banging on the doors of, of commercial galleries they're never going to get into. It's like. You know, you have to know that's actually, that's not a way through. You're going to have to find another way through. And and then, you know, so knowing what the other options are and which one might work best for you is really, you know, that's kind of an important thing. And I, so it's one of the things that I think, you know, Amala was able to deliver a certain level of, um, uh, of information about, you know. She's not going to be able to do the, the work for you. You're actually developing a career means actually going out and doing all of that stuff and learning it and figuring it out for yourself so that you're situated because, you know, you could, you, I could tell you what the land looks like from where I stand, but you're, you're going to stand in a different place mm -hmm. and it's going to look different and it's going to, you're going to have different options than what I had. And so it really is about the skills around navigating. And mm. um, I, I think that she, you know, that she was very, very successful over that long period of time to deliver at least an orientation and then, and then I guess the very the final bit of that was because um, we only really decided to do it about halfway through was the exhibition, which is when we were thinking about it, it was like, well, yeah, are we okay? Are we going to just you know put these artists through this professional development, uh, you know, thing, and then you know, and then do the same thing that's always been done, and you know, just fucking well, thanks, thank you very much for your time, uh, good luck on uh, on going forward, and we thought no. Why don't we give them an absolute, an actual experience of what it is we've been talking about? We will give them an opportunity in the art world. Mm. We'll, you know, and I was, I was working to develop a partnership with First Draft, which we didn't know that, what that was going to be yet. And so we just thought, well, let's just put these two together and we'll give them a show mm. and we'll curate that show and, um, and we'll, and, and we'll, you know, and we'll give them something, you know, that they can, you know, that they can go, oh, okay, well, now I've actually done it, which mm. is, yeah, which is how the whole, yeah, the whole program worked out. And the name of this show is So Hot Right Now, Now, Now. Speaking or uh, hearing from Amala on uh, Sunday, I believe, at first draft during the art talk, I understood that this name or this title actually emerged relatively early on in the program and then that throughout the program, she and Aris and other mentors and facilitators were unpacking the actual meaning of this So Hot Right Now, 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 which has multi-layered meaning. Can you speak about how the idea for this title emerge and what it came to signify um yeah so uh actually um, um the name didn't come out uh, earlier on it actually came out later when we started to um 
you know, like we started to realize that the, our timeline was compressing and that it was going to, it's going to happen. So we, you know, we started to think about, well, okay, what kind of a show are we going to do? And, you know, there was a point there where, you know, we'd gotten through the main bit of, of the, uh, the professional development stuff. And we said, okay, well, if we're going to have a show, we better put on a show. What are we going to call it? And Amala came up with that, um, uh, that title first. Uh, and I think it was coming out around, you know, I, I remember her talking about, about, you know, basically how regional artists are often considered like poor cousins, you know, like we're kind of the daggy kids in the corner. And so she was like, oh, we should give it a name. It's just like, this is where the hot, you know, this is where the hot shit's happening. And she came up with that title. But then we suddenly realized in the midst of it, it was like, well, that's actually really kind of an amazing title in terms of climate change, which we're all facing and which all, you know, in which we face in the regions and in ways that are very, you know, more immediate than you often face them in the city. You know, like the bushfires happen out here, the drought happens out here, the floods happen out here. We, you know, we know, I think it was Amala who, uh, I think it was Amala who, who said, you know, when, when there's a drought on, people in the cities don't have to time their showers, you know, but, but you know, but out here, that's exactly what you do, you know. Mm-hmm. You, you take a one minute shower because you know you don't you won't have enough water to drink you know after that so you feel it in this really concrete way mm-hmm. so you know here was this kind of flashy kind of arrogant title you know a very art worldy I thought you know very slick and kind of um, self promoting mm-hmm. and yet it, it made all of these references to basically you know global climate change and and the impacts that we are facing as a society um, and and I thought, oh, that, you know, so for me, that was a really important thing. She did, uh, you know, as she said in, in the talk, um, she took it to the group and they discussed it and they had long conversations around what it meant. And I think that it was a really great way of actually and where, you know, uh, I think where a number of the works came out of um, a consideration from. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And, and for me, I think what and I think what she was talking about there and what she was fascinated with was was that as a process for curation mm-hmm. that you know that was actually kind of a really generative way very democratic um of co-designing the show so that you know um that the artists were actually contributing to that uh to the framework of the show rather than just the content mm. In uh, the essay that you wrote for this exhibition, you also speak about this idea of a temperature of the society. You say, well, heat is the metaphor that unifies the works. Its uh, unity goes deeper than the mere moment of climate change to recognize the more fundamental temperature of the society that has brought us to this moment. So I was just wondering if you could speak a bit about this idea of the temperature of the society. Yeah, it was a really interesting essay to write because it, it did make me realize a little bit about what it is we do when we have a, an exhibition. Because, you know, I, I had this idea about, you know, the, uh, the, from the title about, you know, climate change, blah, blah, blah. But they, and thank God, the artists didn't, you know, they weren't all didactically beating us over the head with, you know, how terrible climate change is, which would have been a boring fucking show because we, we know how terrible climate change is. That's not that's not something we need to know. But they were talking about all of these things that were a little bit more difficult to kind of fix within the frame or the thinking around climate change. And, um, you know, like Ronnie Grammatica's work 
of roadside memorials. Like, these are basically memorials. Of, yeah, everybody's seen them. They're on the side of the road. They're teddy bears and flowers and, and, and little notes and crosses and stuff put, put there by uh, families and, and, and friends to remember a person that passed who died on that spot. And, um, you know, that doesn't directly speak to uh, climate change. But what it made me think about was, you know, this this amazing kind of emergence of of an uh, of an ancient human instinct to locate and and memorialize the loved ones that have passed in the land. I mean, the graveyard is actually does exactly that. That you know, you have a headstone that sits on a piece of land where the body is located. You know, and so your memory is in the land. And and. Um, and this started to roll in, and, and then you know, and then and and then rolled into to my consideration of um, Alicia Lonsdale's work, which was about um, uh, about how we we, had, we had attempt to escape our memory of mm-hmm. of our, our colonial past. Um, so you know, it, by, basically um, by ignoring or forgetting or uh, uh, discarding or um, dismissing the 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 history that we we've that that you know that is acknowledged but also the fact that that history is not over and that it doesn't end that history doesn't end with the present we don't get over it it's you know basically it's still something where it's on living and and so just trying to think about those two things in terms of climate changes it was really kind of a fascinating things because for me it was like oh well you know there's not a you know there's not a a, a kind of a um, a, a rational connection between them. They've kind of just been placed there, but there is a connection. Like, and you can draw that connection through. You know, you can look and think about that connection. Well, what is the connection between colonialism and um, uh, uh, and, and climate change? And then, it, and then it becomes very interesting because then you start to, you know, you start to think about well, you know, there are similar mentalities that are involved. Like, they're basically all part of the same historical processes. They, and there is this. You know, detachment. Uh, and uh, the thing I think I was hinting at in the in the essay is that you know this detachment from the land, from the environment, from uh, the you know from our existence as natural beings, right? As human natural beings, as beings that are cultural, you know, that do have capacities to to tell stories and to to remember things collectively in ways that you know other animals don't but as as perfectly natural phenomena you know things that exist in the land the same way a kangaroo would exist in the land or a plant former you know that and, and then being able to base our our psych, psychological life and our cultural life in that landscape reattaching it and and it kind of was like this really interesting consideration of uh, the consequences of having detached our imagination you know, and our, um, you know, our spiritual existence, having detached that from uh, location and land, from the concrete, right? Mm-hmm. From the thing that's not meant to be spiritual, the, the actual place, the, the dirt, the actual handful of dirt. Um, you know, our spirituality doesn't live, live there anymore. Our spirituality is now, like so many things in our lives, an abstraction, right? And which is... Right, which is so so much about the 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 kind of the pointlessness of um, or not the pointlessness, but the helplessness that we face in in the, in in, uh, in in looking at uh, and dealing with um, 
and uh, in, in dealing with climate change is that, you know, we have all of these ideas, uh, but they all just seem to circulate. They never seem to actually resolve themselves into actual concrete, you know, uh, outcomes. And, and it's kind of, we kind of live this very abstract, you know, detached from the world life, um, which is the thing that I had never uh, kind of properly recognized until I went through the process of writing this essay. Mm. And, and, the, and the one consequence of this uh, helplessness and detachment is burnout that we are all facing. And I, sp I thought about this idea of burnout in connection to the title of the exhibition, especially in terms of it speaking about being trendy and being hot and this constant yeah. pressure in the art world to make new, 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 to be current. And the consequent burnout that we are experiencing psychologically and mentally, and that that being connected to the idea of hot and overexhausted, basically. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I, I think that's really true. And it was another part of, I think, you know, the kind of the, the thinking in the essay for me um, was around this idea of time and, you know, uh, you know, the pursuit of the now, 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 right, which is in the title of the, mm. of the exhibition. Um, when I think about burnout, I don't think burnout is, uh, you know, is a purely, um, you know, is purely the product of bad culture, you know, of, of people who have been either manipulated or fooled or made to believe that they have to work all the time to do that. I don't, I like, especially COVID made me realize this because there was this, this kind of ramping up that occurred, like, like somebody had turned the dial on the fucking hamster wheel and the hamster wheel started to run faster and everybody was compelled to run faster. Mm. And it wasn't just an individual person, you know, because they're a workaholic and they're, you know, right. And, 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 and they had a bad childhood or whatever, you know, um, you know, doing more than they could. Like you didn't have a choice. Like you, you kind of had to do it. You had to, the thing, right. The balls were coming at you faster. So you just had to keep, you had to start fucking hitting them faster. And I think capitalism has that. Like that's capitalism is, you know, a slow ratcheting up of the speeds of production and distribution. And it has to do that. Otherwise, you know, otherwise it will cease to expand. And if it ceases to expand, it will collapse. And, um, yeah, COVID's brought it, you know, like, because for me, like I'm, I, you know, like I've had out of that time to, you know, I've, what I've had to do is try to carve strategies for how I can, you know, have a bit of time free from the hamster wheel. Like, you know, I mean, I've, I've got to go find moments where I can just go, no, you know, I'm not going to work at this moment. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to go for a walk or I'm going to, you know, meditate or I'm going to watch some fucking shitty TV or mm -hmm. do, you know, which is, which is not, they're not, you know, it's actually not great to do. You don't ever get to that point where you're like, oh, I feel like my life slowed down again. Thank God, you know, ooh, that was fast because it just gives you a little bit of a break from, you know, having fucking everything thrown at your head consistently and there, there not being any gap. And I don't know. I mean, maybe I, I was, I'm mistaken, but I remember li a slower life. I remember when it was slower and I wasn't fucking compelled to run a hundred miles an hour at uh, all points of it. And, and in some way, making art actually is a way to slow down. And I especially thought about that seeing Asma, the mother uh, work, who made this beautiful etching that I assume has taken hours and hours to make. And it really makes you slow down when you look at it because you have to go into the detail, into the image. 
and it's really speaking again uh, in opposition to this insistency of the art market to to produce fast as does your whole program that took two years to complete mm. or it's i mean is it completed is is there going to be an ongoing thing coming out of it as well yeah yeah no we're you know we're all yeah so the the artists are already talking about um getting to getting together online to you know to talk amongst themselves about next steps and to debrief and amala i know is also keen to to do another iteration of it and so yeah there there was absolutely you know it was a very successful sh- uh thing and it's you know it's a very good model like you know and i i guess i'm i think i'm understanding the the connection you're drawing here because that length of program this is maybe that we need to start to think about you know doing things in longer term mm. because it's it's that short termism that's accelerating everything where you know each each little project becomes this you know in, incredible intensity into itself and then you finish that and then you need to have the next little project in place and so you just keep running from you know one one bit to the next you know speeding up as you go whereas when you do have a longer project like this it allows you space and time to settle and to and to and to and to move through it at a slower pace which you know is a benefit to the whole project so yeah so it is we are we are thinking of going um uh of going again yes mm. well alex i know you have another meeting starting in about uh, four minutes so i won't keep you any longer thank you for joining us on ised radio this morning thank you Iris. thank you very much for the opportunity to chat i really enjoyed it Euronisa Radio 89.7 FM. Uh, that was uh, my conversation with Alex Weiser, a co-curator of So Hot Right Now, Now, Now exhibition showing at the first draft in Wollamaloo as we speak. The exhibition of eight regional New South Wales artists is an outcome of a two-year-long regional artist mentoring program and it addresses the conflict between chasing newness and dealing with the impending consequences of our past deeds, which are causing, of course, climate change. The exhibition is on at First Wrap until October 16. You're on ESED Radio 89.7 FM. This is Arts Monday Symposis, where we talk about arts and environmentalism. Mm-hmm.